Welcome to another Scrapyard. I'm Seamus Byrne, and full disclosure, this is like a, a deja vu episode for myself and my guest, because I managed to screw something up entirely when we first had a chat. So hopefully this time around, it's going to be the silky, smooth conversation, and we're managing to do it in real life together rather than uh, over Skype chat type stuff. So big welcome to Sterling Coates to the Scrapyard. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we are going to go deep on all things HCT World Championship. Uh, Hearthstone has wrapped up one huge phase of its esports existence uh, and is kind of launching soon into uh, a whole new scheme of how we enjoy the game uh, when we watch it online. But it was also a fascinating timing for World Championships this year. I chatted a few weeks ago with Cam Shea about all of that in the lead-up, the fact that we've had the rotation into all the new cards and the old cards disappearing, which meant for the first time there was a huge challenge for the competitors to actually design brand new decks just out of the gate and then what would happen once we kind of hit the stage and got to watch it and Sterling was there live at the event in Taiwan so that was really cool for him and uh, yeah I wish I was there but first question clearly is how how was it to be there at Worlds this year? Uh, uh, yeah I mean the the atmosphere at these kind of events is always sort of just fantastic it was such a great uh Great place to be for a couple of days. They had a really amazing uh, basketball arena sort of set up for an esports purpose. It's incredible. If you watch the stream, it's an incredible stage with look like sort of the Hearthstone box, that kind of stuff. Um, they spared no expense when it came to sort of making the tournament look fantastic. And then, of course, the, the gameplay matched it too. It was just such a, an incredible four days of, I think it was 117 games in total of just top tier, top quality Hearthstone. And you're right, that, that proximity to a new expansion, new standard year just made it that much more interesting exciting as no two games are the same and yeah i have to say like great point there as well that even if you don't want to go and watch a bunch of the games because we're going to give you some suggestions on games to go back and watch that were particularly awesome later on but just go and find a clip of that stage lighting up that was beautiful it really did it looked like the box and then as a game would start it's like it kind of shifted and and warped into a game board. Uh, it was so, so slick. Even like the intros with their flags and their names. Oh. Yeah, it was fantastic. Look, so I think um, what's probably a good thing to start with is that idea of the big picture from your perspective now that, you know, we like I say, talked about it a few weeks ago beforehand, but now we're looking back at it, you know, what do we think about that timing and the result that we got in terms of its entertainment value for fans? Mm. Yeah, well, I think um, obviously you know, the players themselves might have liked another week or so to, to get their decks perfect. But I think for the fans, it was really just so exciting seeing all these people bringing these decks that that just we didn't really know how they were going to go beforehand. I think I wrote before the tournament that it was sort of half players competing for prize money. It was also half um, you know, decks competing for competitive viability. So, you know, we went in, you know, people were bringing, obviously a lot of people bought Rogue and a fair few people bought Warrior. But then beyond that, we didn't know how anything was really going to go. And so I think, you know, in tournaments in the past, you've come into it sort of very close to the end of a end of an expansion and end of a particular sort of uh, time period's metagame. But because this year it was so close to the start of a meta, um, it just made, you know, not only did were or every class, uh, was every class present, but within those classes you had totally different deck types, 
within those deck types, you had totally different games. You know, it just made this this thing where just you know, every game was different. You know, before I think we were, we were together in Amsterdam for the the 2017 slash 18 one, and and you know the the meta game was very settled, and so you did see some very high quality play, but you did see not only the same deck types, but within those decks, exactly the same cards across all the competitors. Whereas this time, because it was just so volatile and so different, it really made it for just um, to be such a more entertaining prospect, really. Um, you know, some players were a victim. I think I was mentioning um, in an article before, but Ike uh, from America, he bought a, a token druid deck that just wasn't up to scratch anymore. Like when, yeah. he, when he, he bought it, he had said even before the tournament started that he wished he could have changed it. He was already playing with a new version on ladder. But um, yeah, unfortunately, he, he's sort of half token half healing druid just got just got run over so it wasn't obviously the best thing for every player but i think um as far as world championships go i think i'd actually like to see that a bit more that sort of bit closer to expansion because it, it just makes it for more entertaining viewing you watch it to watch players play really well but you actually watch it to get a better idea of what will actually be good this expansion and in some ways you know don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but when when it comes to the idea of what comes next i think you're right it would be great to to see these new formats taking place at those sorts of time windows where everything has just been shaken up and then it's like, how are the world's best dealing with all the new things that are coming in That's rather it. than having the kind of main championships taking place right at that end of a cycle where everybody knows what the, you know, the ideal solved decks are for each class. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that the potential problem of this next, uh, you know, singular focused, you know, you bring one class deck with some slight variations and, um, the potential problem if if everybody is essentially going well, we're all playing Hunter right now because that is the best class to play. Yeah, that's that's it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. Um, but I think you know with that new format, obviously, I want to get too ahead of ourselves. But that, that new format, um, I think it will allow for some um, some more in depth analysis within each game. I think sort of one thing a lot of players, a lot of um, officials mentioned was that with the conquest format, which is what we've had now, and moving away from it with the sort of best of five and the sort of you eliminate a deck as you win. Um, it's very hard after a match to know why someone won because it, it's you know, they come off stage, they say, well, my lineup was better than his lineup. And you know, for most of us playing loud, that doesn't really make any sense. But with that specialist format coming in, I think we will get just some better analysis within each match because someone can tell you, oh, I bought card A, B, C because they're playing Warrior and then because they're playing Warrior, I did this differently and that differently. I think it will actually make for, a, uh, a, I guess, a more applicable uh, viewing experience. When you're watching it, if you're just a ladder player, you can watch the esports format and now take some of those learnings to um, your playing experience as well. Yeah. And, yeah, I think to kind of focus back in on this tournament, I think um, I what you are saying before is, is something I'd completely love, which was that even when people were playing the same archetype of deck within a class, there were still so many differences mm. in tech choices that people were making in order to, you know, to think about what am I potentially going to face and therefore what – what tricks do I want up the sleeve of this deck at this moment in time where we're not quite sure? And so even when people were talking about favoured and unfavoured matchups mm. before the tournament, um, you know, it was still so up in the air because it wasn't like there had been, you know, well, we have data from 300,000 games yes. right now that we're able to analyse. It. it was, oh, there's a couple of thousand games, but it's still ultimately in this phase of it kind of being so fresh it 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 still comes back to the player skill level and their ability to use those cards in the right way to get the result they need that's it and even over the tournament we we, we actually learned some new things like i think before um some people bought mid-range hunter and the idea was that they were bringing mid-range hunter to counter some zoolock decks which were there the idea being that you'd be able to play a scavenging hyena 
play Unleash the Hounds and trade all those hounds into the wide board that Zulox creates and create this sort of monster that the Warlock can't deal with. Then over the course of the of the sort of first three days, it actually found out that mid-range, Zulok was actually one of the few decks it had success against was a mid-range hunter. But then on the very last day, Summon a Mage, which had been absolutely killing it and flying, it was the first match between a Mage and a Hunter. And we found out over the course of the last day that actually mid-range hunter was pretty good against Summon a Mage. So it was <laughs> yeah. sort of amazing how it wasn't something a, a matchup people had even contemplated before the tournament. And then in the space of one day, it's like, oh, wow, this is actually the answer to this deck that's come out of nowhere and, and taken over everything. And, and now there's a new counter to it and we thought it was a bad deck. So it, it was just so much change happened within those four days and it's just something we've had in the past when we've had that um, tournament so late to the end of an expansion. Yeah. And so, look, in the show notes, I'm going to link up the really cool um, daily recaps that you did because I think you. you did an awesome job on them. Thank you. And, you know, and for people who don't care about this stuff that much, I think wrap-ups like that are really helpful for trying to, you know, help them come in and help them grasp, you know, why all these kinds of discussions are really interesting. So I, I think we're worth people having a look at that on the website. But, um, yeah, what do you feel like some of the kind of top picks were for key games um, that people should go and check out if, if they didn't actually catch the tournament themselves? Mm, well, I mean, the internet certainly blew up um, about that last game, the, the grand final between Hunter <laughs> Ace and Viper. Um, so I'd say from that series, if you have time, check out the whole series. But definitely the last game, which was a sort of crazy match with Control Shaman versus the Zulok that played Archville and Rafam and all these legendary minions we never thought we'd see on stage but they were all there and then the first game in that series too was was particularly exciting um it was a very good comeback from from low health but i won't spoil it for you if you haven't watched it but definitely um definitely have a look uh, as far as other games go um there were some interesting ones one was on the very first day uh between killing all day and language hacker it was the fourth game of their match that was killing all day brought that very strange miracle priest deck yeah. with chef nomi that everyone was sort of losing their minds over beforehand now that deck didn't actually go so well but yeah. that was the one game where it it did win and actually looked quite convincing. And just seeing that bizarre combination of zero-cost spells and, and, you know, all these cards that really shouldn't be quote-unquote good yeah. just work so well um, was just an amazing thing to watch. So I mean, the fact that that was on its first appearance, yeah. that it worked so well. Yeah, well, I, every, I, everyone I can thought, imagine people losing their minds at the Yeah, the everyone arena. thought, like, this guy's living in 3019. Like, this, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is something else. Um, so it wasn't to be, but definitely worth watching that, that game work. Um, there was another one on the first day as well between LF Jujing and Muzzy, which was a, a Summoner Mage versus Control Shaman, which, once again, I'm not going to spoil that one for you, but there's some crazy stuff in that game in particular that happens that's definitely worth watching. Some really crazy high rolls. And you know, when it's Summoner Mages, you're always going to get something a bit out of the box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely worth watching that. Um, on day two, there was a game between A83650 and Just Saying, their first match, which is a Shaman Mirror game. Uh, that was one of those ones that went to the final card. Um, just a really good sort of 30-card war kind of yeah, game. So yeah. one that sort of was uh, very good to watch. You had uh, another player who brought some off-meta picks was Roger. He brought a sort of very strange control paladin deck. And I think on day two of his match with um, Bloody Face, the fourth game, you see that crazy control paladin deck work with a, this uh, combination between the Immortal Prelate and the Undertaker, which just shouldn't happen but it <laughs> yeah. does and so that's that's crazy to watch too and then one more i wrote down which is uh language hacker and muzzy on day three uh which is the second game i don't know what happened but i wrote in my notes sort of rather hastily and in capital letters unbelievable never concede so i'm guessing it was entertaining um <laughs> please watch it and tell me what happened because i've forgotten but i'm sure it was worth watching and look i totally agree as well with the the, the final game five of the grand final I was having actually a big chat with someone about that last night because I felt like it was such a good example of for the people who kind of throw the RNG accusation at Hearthstone, I think 
you know, that game was as RNG as it gets. Mm. But I think it so directly speaks to the the whole idea of like a really good poker pro. It's like you are playing your odds to the best of your ability mm-hmm. in order to set yourself up with the best chance of winning. And and you can only win in an RNG scenario by putting yourself in a position to win from luck going your way. That's and I right. think that that match you know, as as Sterling said before, it's like the that whole idea of playing Arch Thief for a farm, which is this card that literally every card in your deck gets turned into a legendary minion randomly. So it became a total random fest, but it was partly that Viper already knew that he wasn't all that favored in the matchup that, you know, that the control shaman has the tools to take out the warlock. So he kept that card in his hand right at the start of the game because he knew I'm yeah, you know, I should try to play for this. Mm. If 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 things haven't gone perfectly by turn six or seven, it's like I don't want to have to be fishing this out of my deck later if I'm already in trouble. And so that's kind of the smart step number one is making that decision early mm-hmm. that I, I'm probably going to have to commit to this strategy, which then meant he kept a, you know a bunch of cards in his hand, so he had tools available straight away when he played it. Like all these kinds of little decisions that make sure that that randomness might play into his favor. And then for, for a while it really did and it really kind of looked like like this is going to work out. And, you know, it, how it plays out is kind of amazing in its own way. Yes. But um, it, it just I thought it was such a good example of of showing how it is about the players using their smarts, their experience in this game, to respond to the randomness that arrives in front of them. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and ultimately the player that deals with that best was the player that won. That's it. I think further to your point as well, and it's important to mention because, yes, he did keep uh, Archville and Rafam in his, in, his, in his mulligan, but I think to that RNG argument, it's important to remember that the Zulok deck that Viper runs, like Archville and Rafam is not the win condition. No. I think a lot of people don't realize that. He, he's, generally speaking, his game plan is to overwhelm the opponent with just cheap, powerful minions and basically have them under underwater before they can even think about starting their own game plan. Yeah. And the purpose for farm serves is to sort of give him that mid to late game gear change where you know it's not a life-saving card either. It's basically where if you've recognized, okay, I'm not where I need to be in terms of my game plan, so this just gives me a complete left turn and see how I go. And I think him keeping it that mulligan was that recognition that against the control shaman, he probably wasn't going to be where he wanted to be at, at turn seven. Yeah. And that's what it was about. But I think some people sort of looked at that match and thought, oh, Hearthstone's all about just random legendaries. And, that, and that, that's not the case at all. And mm. I think as well, if from Hunter Ace's point of view, like the player who ends up winning, um, you know, he qualified for this world championship as a points leader, which yeah. you know, to simplify it massively or o- oversimplify it massively, it just means that he's someone who has qualified for this tournament because he's very good at the game. Just grinds the ladder a lot, gets lots of very high finishes, you know, has appeared at some tournaments, but he's not a quote-unquote tournament player. Yeah. And so, you know, given that the the true, if you will, experience of Hearthstone is queuing up on ladder and sort of going up against random decks and not knowing what your opponent has in their hand versus a tournament where you have published deck lists, in a sense, the fact that he was able to draw on that ladder experience and just every turn make the best possible play to anticipate what could be coming is sort of actually in a way much truer to what Hearthstone is as a game for you and me versus the tournament scene. So I think um, it was wildly entertaining. And I mean, I just want to point out the fact we had Totemic Might kill Gruul to finish the World Championship, which is two <laughs> of the absolute worst cards that have ever been printed, decided the World Championship, which is something in itself. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, some people you know would say, oh, you know, Hearthstone is too RNG. But I think that game, you need to look a bit deeper before you sort of try and make that assessment.
Yeah. And look, I'll I'll make a quick note to the fact that if you're hearing random weird rumbling noises in the back, it's because Sterling and I are at Intel Extreme Masters this weekend, and that's how we've managed to, to meet up and have this conversation. Just think of it as a tavern. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're just chilling at the tavern. What's up? Um, so now we touched on this a little bit before, but I'm curious for your feeling about um, what some of the key takeaways are from this tournament, and, and you know, uh, what are we seeing? Sort of people now thinking, oh, okay, here's the new. Thing, here's the new thoughts about how we should be dealing with the new meta based on what we've watched happen in the final. Yeah, so a couple of different things. I think the big one that got talked about the tournament the most was um, the sort of weakness, or it's not weakness, the sort of failure of Zulok decks to, to really get going. I mean, it is supposed to be quite an aggressive uh, deck that sort of really overruns their opponents um, before they can get their game plan in motion, but it didn't go very well. Uh, it won 21 and lost 28, but what was concerning for me was, one, that it went very poorly against slower decks, it went one and four against Summoner Mage, went two and five against Control Shaman. I mean, realistically, you know, a Zulok deck is the kind of deck that should be overwhelming those decks before they can get going. Yeah. But it was the fact that they weren't so much getting ahead early and then running out of steam. It's just the decks were constructed in such a, a complicated way. They had things like the Magic Carpet, the Scarab Egg, the Evil Genius, and sort of all these little things that can make an, an advantageous board state even better. But there were too many circumstances where... They just needed a one-drop minion to play on the board, and they just kept drawing the sort of combo pieces. Yeah, and that's just that's just really not what a Zulok deck should be. And obviously, you know, Zulok will always exist to some extent because of the Warlock hero power, and it still does pretty well on ladder. But from a, a tournament point of view, I think they found that a bit too it's a bit too complex for his own good. I think that the big meta takeaway would be the fact that Summoner Mage is now a strong deck. Yeah, uh, it's a hard deck to play. So it's not one you can necessarily just copy and paste into your into your client and just sort of get to Legend very easily, unfortunately. But um, that was one that you know a couple people bought it. We weren't sure how it would go, but it actually turned out to be an extremely strong deck when you when you uh, high roll. That's for sure. And I think um, Control Shaman's one. I think people are sleeping on a bit too. I mean, I'm a bit biased because I'm a Shaman main, but <laughs> I think you know, the fact that we had five different Control Shamans there, all five of them had quite different card choices within them. We had a mid range Shaman as well from A360. Uh, I think the deck actually did a lot better than even the data looks. I think that's actually a surprisingly competitive deck type that I think people, as this meta goes on longer and, and you know, maybe we get some nerfs to Rogue or Warrior, I think that's something that could really shine in the in the coming months. Yeah. And look, and it's a good point as well, isn't it, that, you know, just looking at the data from that tournament doesn't tell the whole story. There, no. are, there were some misplays through the tournament that mm. meant that, you know, somebody who probably should have won a certain game lost it because, yeah, they made a... Yeah, a pretty nasty misplay halfway through the game, and that's all it takes at that level. Mm, well, Hunter said that a few a few times as well. Actually, he because um, he doesn't have that tournament experience. He, he was so nervous, so nervous on the first day. And I think, by my count, it was it was two games with the shaman as well. I think another one as well where he really had a, an opportunity to win, and he didn't see the the right play or sort of roll the dice and when he, when he didn't need to, and and he lost a couple of games when he shouldn't have. And I think back to the point about that grand final match the fact that he was able to just recover from that sort of rough first day and sort of get that mental fortitude to just push through the absolute randomness that was being thrown at him and like viper got the azalina soul thief and stole his his hand twice yeah, which it would be so enough, amazing. To, enough to tilt me that's for sure and so the <laughs> yeah. fact that he was able to on stage just live through that get through it push through it and end up winning i think was just such an amazing story of just growth and maturity over four days too and so mm. um yeah, <laughs> I like I like that he didn't hide his emotions sometimes too. That's like it. when when a play, like when something drops in front of you that you really don't think you were going to have to face, it's like yeah, just shake your head violently That's and it. let it out. You That's know, like it. get rid of that 
emotion rather than trying to eat it down and in the end actually probably making yourself even more angry. It's like just accept how rubbish that moment was and move forward. That's it. I think um, Bunny Hopper was saying in one of the videos before that they have a saying in his hometown of, of just let five be an even number. Just like it's not fair, it's <laughs> not cool. right, but just get on with it. Yeah, <laughs> that is really cool. Um, so I think what's the other thought? Uh, yeah, there's a, a good thing here to touch on again for kind of um, – yeah, for most people who like to just have some fun with Hearthstone, a lot of these sorts of details we're talking about uh, are really that sort of debate about legendary rank play versus those of us who probably hang about in the teens a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, the the nuances of these kinds of elite decks kind of going head to head um, really kind of it's a whole different debate than is it like piloting this new control shaman actually seems like it takes a lot of work as much as it it seemed to have you know, some some success at the right times through that tournament. Um, I feel like I would struggle to make that deck work as well as Hunter Ace can make that work. I think we all would, yes, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, as far as decks at the moment go, I think um, one thing that's probably getting a bit underrated is Token Druid because it did so poorly um, at Worlds, but that's still a very, very strong deck. I think if you sort of yeah. someone who's playing in those teams looking to get into sort of 10, 5, whatever, um, Token Druid is a, a pretty safe craft. Um, it's, mm. it's not a particularly expensive deck. I don't think it only uses one legendary um, so that's something you that can definitely make work as well. Um, a lot of the tempo rogue decks as well are going pretty well too. Um, yeah. There's sort of one line of Thor that uses sort of a lot of weapon synergy, things like Deadly Poison, Captain Greenskin, to just run your opponent down um, by turn eight, really. And I think that works pretty well, but I actually still think I prefer the ones that use things like the Blink Fox to get you know cards from your opponent's class because obviously that struggles in a mirror match against Rogue, but you know, against some of those other classes, you, you activate some really powerful cards like Vendetta for zero mana or the yeah. Underbelly Fence, like a 3-4 with Rush for two. So um, I've been climbing a bit with that Rogue deck. I think that's sort of, um, it's a good way to learn the game a bit more. And I think it, it's a, a safer bet at those middle ranks. Obviously, if you do get up to higher ranks, then obviously there's a lot more analysis to do with your deck building. But I think um, if you're in that sort of mid ranks, the 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 Token Druid, the Tempo Rogue, you know, they're, they're pretty safe crafts as well. Control Warrior does well as well, but I personally... I can't stomach if I played for a 25-minute match and I lose. It's just the worst <laughs> thing. So I was like, if I'm going to lose, I'd rather have it done in three or five minutes than, than 20. Yeah. And look, I think uh, lackeys are definitely showing so oh, much value. Yes. You know, that I, I think they fit into that nice category of it's like the modern Hearthstone random where it's like you're going to get one random card from or maybe two depending on what, you know, what you've deployed um, that is from a, a small batch of options and it's a one-drop, one-one card. But all of their powers are, are valuable. So yeah, it's kind of like in almost any deck, those lackeys are, are proving to be really worthwhile. And it's just then a question of, you know, do you get the the perfect lackey that suits exactly what you need right now? Or do you just get one that is handy mm-hmm. and is actually going to be helpful no matter what anyway? Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, it's very rare to find a circumstance where the lackeys are bad play. Um, and I think it's been replied that, that twin spell, a lot of the sort of quote-unquote good classes use, it's been proven to be, very valuable too. Um, that Condra's Calling is a extremely powerful card. Um, yeah. Even the Blessing of the Ancients, the Druid one that gives the one ones, that's that's very powerful too. So I think um, it, it's fun too. I think now, especially if you're playing the game as well, because we're in that new standard year, and not only we're in a new standard year, they've, they've you know took those odd and even cards out of standard a year early as well. So you know we've really had the best possible opportunity to just totally freshen up the game. And I think now is the perfect time to just experiment have a bit of fun as well because you're not going to necessarily obviously people will always play tier one decks in casual which is annoying but <laughs> you're not going to sort of you know try this new creation you, you've put together and then get into casual and it's odd powered and it's like well great yeah. so I, I think i think it's it's you know 
there's all this cool new stuff and there's some really powerful stuff, but it is still so fresh and so new. And we're still, as a community, got so long to go before we truly work out how powerful just everything is. And so I think there's never been a better time to just jump in and just make your own decks and and, and, and have fun with them. Yeah. And so now we're also closing in on uh, the first Masters mm. Tour event over in Las Vegas. We are. I, I can't remember. If it's, is it later this month or is it early the, June? The Vegas um, tournament is in June. Is yeah. it the 14th of June to the 16th of June? Yeah. Um, but the qualifiers, that one have finished. But the, the one that's coming up very soon is actually uh, qualifiers for the Seoul Masters Tour. Yeah, Which cool. I think one thing you were covering with Cam when you spoke last was that you know, one of the problems this new format is even if you qualify for a tournament, you've got to actually make your own way there and, and pay your own way both for flights and accommodation, which is, you know, they've got some discount rates available, but it's still not cheap. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, for Australian competitors maybe, you know, that Seoul tournament's probably a shorter flight. Yep. Probably a bit more manageable. There's a language barrier of, of being in Korea, but I think it's probably a, maybe a better one to look for. So we won in Europe in, I think, September, but that's obviously an even longer flight, really. So, yeah. you know, if, if you, you live in Perth, you can you can get a one you know, a one stop flight all the way to Europe nowadays. So can that's you? something. Yeah, there yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, there, someone opened up Perth to London, there and that was sort of the start of that. Okay, well, yeah, good on you guys in Perth. You can. Yeah, you know, it, it isn't just Asia that's on your doorstep now. That's it's it. also Europe compared that's to it. us. Well, I suppose we get direct to LA on the East Coast, so it's not, yeah, not the worst true. thing. But yeah, so I think um, with with uh, that that Seoul tournament itself is in August, August sixteenth to eighteenth. That's probably the um, probably the the closest one geographically to our region. But what's starting even sooner is the actual Grandmasters, the the new actual esports tournament format. So they sort of announced the sort of new game format and the new tournament format at the same time. I think a lot's been lost, but we've basically got essentially like Hearthstone League starting in the middle of yeah. May, like May 17 our time. The t- the games, uh, at least for Asia Pacific, uh, are on fantastic times for us. They're like 7 o'clock till about tw- midnight, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, so it really couldn't be on a better time. Mm. We've got uh, Frosty, who's an Australian competitor from South Australia, who'll be flying the flag. We've got Patra as well, who represents New Zealand. So there's some good local talent in that competition. And I think it's going to be really exciting to just see regular Hearthstone from the highest level every week. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about it because, look, I, probably more than anything else these days, my TV has has Twitch on it. Yep. You know, there's a great Apple TV app, so I can just flick on Twitch and, you know, by just exploring what's currently the top streams, usually there's some cool bit of eSport on from somewhere in the world. Um, I'm really excited for the fact that, yeah, most weekends, you know, for you know, I guess a couple of seasons through the year or whatever, but um, but most weekends at nice time zones, there's going to be some top level Hearthstone play now to just tune in on. And yeah, when you see the way that they've sort of got the because they've got divisions set up um, mm. so that different regions are sort of playing each other first, so it makes it kind of convenient for I guess where everybody lives. But um, yeah, it just seems like it's a really nice lineup. Pretty much, you know, like from what like. I can't remember if it's Saturday morning it starts or Friday evening, but basically all weekend, you know, day or night, there's going to be matches taking place yeah. in Hearthstone every weekend, and that's really cool. No, a lot to sink your teeth into as well. It, it will be interesting to see how that, that specialist format goes because obviously now we've got a situation where players bring three decks from the same class, and I think they have to have 25 cards in common with another across all three. So yep. um, there is that sort of, I guess, people are a bit concerned that you might have a situation where just everyone brings whatever's the top class at that time. Um, but like I was saying before, I think it, it will at least give us the opportunity to get a bit more sort of in-depth analysis as to why certain cards are there, yeah. why they made certain decisions against certain classes. The good thing is that um, the players get to submit a new deck list every week. 
Great. So it does mean that they'll probably play two games with the same deck list, but it's yep. not like you. They, everyone locks in, you know, Rogue tomorrow and then for, for the 10 next, weeks <laughs> until mid July, we're just watching Rogue. And then, you know, if Rogue falls out of the meta, then they're playing all these off meta decks. And I mean, who knows happens with nerfs as well? So yeah. that would be a bad situation. But no, it is. They submit a new deck list every week. Um, and so I'll be interesting to see, not just across um, Hearthstone Ladder, but just across that competition too, how much, you know, the deck changes occur there, how much that filters down to our level as well. So, yeah. um, you know, I think. People, I guess, if you are concerned, people do have, I guess, a right to be concerned about what this new format will look like. But I think it could be very exciting. And look, I have to say, I, you know, when I first heard about it, I was pretty skeptical. I was kind of worried in various ways. But the closer we get now, I think, you know, my, I'm, I'm trying to go back to the nice blank slate and just go hit me with it. Yeah. Show me what you got. And, and fundamentally, the idea of how the new, like, how often we're going to get. High-level play is the thing that I'm now hyped about no matter what. And, 100%. And I think, yeah, the, the regularity of that is probably going to feed into a nice sense then. I've got, yep, it doesn't, you know, okay, I'm not going to see that one player play three different decks, but over the course of a day, I'm going to see a bunch of different matches between different people and each each one is going to be something facing off against something. And, you know, uh, probably the, the main fear is mirror matches all day long. Yeah. But apart from that, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to tune in and watch. It will be. I think as well as that, you, there are some streamers out there like Fibonacci is sort of very famous for being a sort of a warrior only player. And I think, you know, if you've got a certain favorite class, maybe then you might latch onto players who sort of bring those classes. I know Frosty, for example, he is a shaman main. So yep. he's Australian. He's a nice guy. He's a shaman main. He's you are going to be copying sure. his decks all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but so I think, you know, there's that element to it as well, which could make it a bit more entertaining because I think, you know, if, if you're a new, if you're new to the esports scene and you just tune into a tournament for the first time, you probably don't know who any of the players are. You've got really no reason to be connected with them short of maybe nationality. But if you've got the situation now where, you know, this person's the druid person, this person's the rogue person, then perhaps based on what classes you enjoy playing, there might be a, a sort of a new avenue into the sort of fandom for you that way. Mm. Um, I also I did speak to Sam Braithwaite, who's the uh, head of esports uh, at uh, Hearthstone for Blizzard, and he was he, what, he did say that the specialist format isn't set in stone. They're going to give it a year, and if they do find it's just mirror matches for days, then they will change it. Yeah. So I think, you know, it is, it's it is yeah, definitely concerning if you are at constant mirror matches, but I wouldn't be too scared because they do... They have said they are willing to change it if it does yeah. result in that. And that's great. I, I, and I think we had already started to get a, a good picture since the start of this year mm. that that they want to be more responsive to the community. They, they're really sort of um, trying to keep that door to flexibility open more and more. And, I, you know, I think like the very fact of having Auden even rotated out in after one year rather than two, I think was a real good signal God that said. they're like, we want – we want the game to feel fresh as much as possible. And so we're going to make what is technically a big call because that's not what you do. You never did that before. And they've just gone, this is good for the health of the game. Nobody's going to disagree with that. That's it. And so let's just get on with it. That that's was great. It. Now, I remember when I found out that odd and even decks were, were going a year earlier. I think, oh, you know, that's, that's so premature. Like, why would they do that? Sure, they could, you know, make a, more counter cards. Then sort of towards the end of Rastakhan's meta, I'm just like, Hallelujah. Like every time I saw like an odd mage is the one that I hate the most. Every time I saw that deck, just like, will you just get lost? Like I was just <laughs> sick of seeing Baku and Gen's face. So I think um, it's definitely, yeah. I mean, obviously it's just some wild thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's far. Oh God. <laughs> We're just having flashbacks now as well. But um, yeah, thank, thank Christ those are gone. I think it's just, you know, it was, it was fun for a while, but I think that's right. Just that sort of, you know, not only that, but also that we've had way more nerfs and, and balance level changes in the Rastakans 
better than we did yeah. usually. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some balance changes to Rise of Shadows very soon if they feel it's necessary. So yeah. I think um, it's it's a good time. Like over the sort of last year, the Team 5 have definitely gotten a lot more responsive mm. to you know, listening to community and providing feedback on you know that part of the game. Obviously, you know, people still want things like tournament mode and sort of new game modes sort of a bit silent on, but... Um, the balance changes have definitely been more transparent and, and more frequent, which is which is always nice. And look, I think you made me think of a good point there, which is that you know when it comes to say you know I'm gonna I'm watching Frosty because he's playing Shaman and it's really exciting for me because I love playing Shaman. That again, when we think about free to play or like minimal spend kind of players, I think it is really important for those sorts of players to be able to feel like you know I I do main a class because that way I'm not trying to build mm. 50 different decks. Um, but the fact that they all have three variants to sort of mess around with, it doesn't cost that much to kind of build slightly different versions of the same deck compared to the idea of going, oh, and now I'm going to try this other class. Um, so I think it, it is actually, there's a lot of good potential there for someone to say, oh, I'm running this deck and I've, I'm doing the second variant because I feel like that I'm enjoying that the most or whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely. I think that's sort of, you know, looking at people bringing four classes, you know, packed with legendaries, it is sort of a, a big barrier for entry if you are someone who does want to be free to play or is as little to spend as possible. And I think, you know, tying into the whole fact that now the whole esports infrastructure is so much more accessible through Masters qualifiers and Masters tours, it definitely does really open the door a lot wider to people who do want to just sort of jump in and, and see how they go in a tournament, you know, yeah. no matter how much they've spent in terms of time or money. So, you know, neither of us play tournaments all Not that yet. often. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm curious, what are you what are you enjoying playing right now on Ladder Yourself? Yeah, so I do, I am enjoying that sort of Burgle Rogue, um, which has been a bit fun. I, I had a, I tell you what, a bit of a dog of a day yesterday trying some new decks and, and just about every time I tried a new one, the hard counter came up. I got three <laughs> Druids in a row while playing Secret Hunter. And I thought, okay, I switched to Rogue. Got three Warriors in a row. Like, okay, I switched to Mech Paladin. Got Warlocks and Mages. It's just like, gah. So definitely stick to one deck if you can to avoid that. But um, definitely enjoying the Tempo Rogue. Uh, enjoying a lot of Murloc Shaman as well. A lot yeah. of Control Shaman. They're, they're a lot of fun to me. And I do also mess around with some sort of bit off-meta stuff uh, in casual. I do play with a big Warrior. So it's not like Control 1. More that stuff uses Dimensional Ripper and that kind of stuff to sort of get multiple copies of Ysera or Big Bad Archmage or Gromash or that kind of stuff. I did mess around with a Wind Fury Shaman deck just after launch that used that uh, Whirlwind Tempest that gives your Wind Fury minions Mega Wind Fury. Then you put that on board. Then you get Zentimo who targets adjacent minions with spells. You give a whole bunch of minions the Wind Fury spell and all that stuff to make some pretty crazy stuff happen. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always work. Um, almost never works. So I stopped playing it. But it was just fun to <laughs> yeah, just sort of I'd- have a tinker and just see what you can make. It's like back in the early days um, with Priest and trying to you know, get those uh, combos going to build like a you know 32, oh, 32 yeah. minion to just kind of do a one hit and not even like a one turn kill, but literally a one hit kill. What happens now still, really? Well, you still get that with the Moshlock Enforcer and that Wall Priest, so, so it hasn't gone away, has it? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's often so reliant on on getting it to, you know, all the right cards at just the right moment. And that's you finally it. go, yay, I finally built it. <laughs> and then there's a Hunter Secret and you get Freezing Trapped and that's it. Like. <laughs> so, well, that was fun conceit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, and then, look, we've got the Great Dalaran Heist coming soon. Mm. It's still just listed as soon. Um, but I've kind of, yeah, done a little bit of extra reading about it <laughs> since we our last failed attempt at this conversation. Um, and they, uh, yeah, like I hadn't, looked at all that much about it beforehand it's definitely a big kind of shift in terms of style there's going to be the cost attached to it again Mm -hmm. but they're really pushing the idea that 
it's kind of a more advanced solo adventure idea. Some people have been throwing around kind of suggestions that it's a little bit like Slay the Spire, which was like a really cool game that people have been enjoying recently. Um, so, yeah, it definitely sounds like a, a kind of another effort to really ramp up the fun of that kind of solo play adventure um, and building on the success of the different kind of, uh, you know, Rastikens Rumble and the dungeon runs and things like that that they did last year. And, yeah, it should be good fun. Yeah, it does look interesting. I think um, a lot of people were really, really big on on Dungeon Run when that did come in. And I would say personally, I didn't enjoy Monster Hunt or Rumble Run as much. Uh, Rumble Run to me in particular felt quite unbalanced and a bit sort of haphazard. But I think um, that sort of core idea of sort of building the deck as you go was way more accessible than adventures were. Yeah. And all that. I think people really like that. I think what... I've heard of Dalaran Heist so far. Is it really looks like it's going to combine those two ideas and you know, give us some, you know, a very adventure style uh, sort of experience, like the old, you know, One Night in Karazhan and, and League of Explorers kind of stuff, but with sort of that bit of accessibility where you do get to, you know, have to sort of bring your own decks to each boss. You yeah, can make it up as you go along with, you know, presumably some some cool little twists and turns as well. So I think, um, you know, they they have said they doubled the staffing on their solo content team over the last year. So. It's clearly something they're going to take more seriously, and especially when you consider that this year all three expansions will have that consistent story theme across the three. Yeah, you know, it's probably not wild to speculate that the single-player content will have a similar theme to it as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes over the year. Yeah, completely. So look, we better wrap it up so we can all get back to IEMing. There is no Hearthstone at IEM, unfortunately. But we'll, 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 yeah, not yet. Not yet. Or at least we could play one right here, and then technically Hearthstone was at. That's IEM. true. That is very true. <laughs> um, tell the listeners where they can find all your cool things on the internet. Ah, uh, thank you. So you can find me at theraw.com.au. I do a bit of sports writing as well, but there's definitely a healthy mix of esports and and AFL and all sorts of things there. And you can when I start me. my cricket podcast, then we'll you know we'll, That's we'll, it. we'll chat can, again. I can about host that. you. <laughs> yeah. And then um, we've got um, on Twitter. You can find me at Sterling Coates. That's S T I R L I N G C O A T E S. Awesome. Thanks again, Sterling, for sneaking this in while we're here at IEM. And um, yeah, I'm sure I'll have you back soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me.